We are on a trip through 2 Corinthians. And today we begin a new section that I have entitled A True Pastor. Chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. Chapter 12, verses 12 through 19. If you would please follow in the reading of the Word of God, and then we will pray for His guidance. Chapter 12, verse 12 through 19. The signs of a true apostle were performed among you with all perseverance by signs and wonders and miracles. For in what respect were you treated as inferior to the rest of the churches, except that I myself did not come a burden for you? Forgive me this wrong. Here for this third time, I am ready to come to you and I will not be a burden to you for I do not seek what is yours. But you, for children, are not responsible to save up for their parents, but parents for their children. I will most gladly spend and be expended for your souls. If I love you more, am I to be loved less? But, be that as it may, I did not burden you myself. Nevertheless, crafty fellow that I am, I took you in by deceit. Certainly, I have not taken advantage of you through any of those whom I have sent to you, have I? I urged Titus to go, and I sent the brother with him. Titus did not take advantage of you, did he? Did we not conduct ourselves in the same spirit and walk in the same steps? All this time, you have been thinking that we are defending ourselves to you, actually It is in the sight of God that we have been speaking in Christ and all for your upbuilding, beloved. Father, help us. Help us to hear what the apostle is saying here. And help us to understand that this is spiritual war. This is the battle right here before us. And Father, help us to understand and recognize those that you have placed in our lives. That we will be overwhelmed with their presence. And that, Father, we will understand the joy of following a servant of Christ, one sent by Christ, one with the correct perspective. Father, these are dangerous times. And, Father, I I would ask that in these coming weeks, as we go through this text, that, Father, that those who would visit and those who are faithful to this congregation would start realizing the importance of that man, the pastor. And, Father, that they would understand what responsibility he has. But, Father, they would understand that the calling is yours. In Christ's name, amen. I was thinking about this as I was over the months that I've been reading it and studying it. And I thought, you know what? You could probably ask a hundred people, what is a pastor? And you would probably get a hundred different definitions. And I wonder how many of them would be right. Because I watch, and and I've been around long enough, I guess that's what I'm trying to say, that I know what most people think they want from a pastor, and yet what they want isn't biblical. Okay? Okay? And it's it's sad because we have been warned that there will come a time 
when men will not hear sound words, and they will heap to themselves teachers that tickle their ears. Have you ever thought about that? You know what the dangerous part of that verse is? There are enough out there to heap them up. You don't really have to go far to find teachers who will tickle your ears. They're all over the place. And yet, it hasn't changed. Paul told that to Timothy when Timothy was straightening up some stuff at the church in Ephesus. Now, we've already been through Paul's credentials as an apostle. Okay, and I I shared with you this, that as an apostle, he was called personally by the resurrected Christ. For those who take on the quote-unquote mantle of apostle, they have to be called personally by the resurrected Christ. Okay, now, you can send an apostle out from the church, but it is the church's messenger that is going out. The apostle Paul was Jesus Christ's messenger. Okay? We've already looked at this. But you know one of the things that I have noticed? Uh, I, have, I have been truly blessed to, to sit and, and have elongated conversations with some of the greatest pastors that this planet has ever seen. All right, I have sat and spoke at length multiple times with Dr. Stephen Olford. I have spent lengthy times with Adrian Rogers. I have spent time with Dr. Stanley. I have spent time with R.C. Sproul. I have spent time with John MacArthur. And all of those guys will rock your universe. A little bit of time with David Jeremiah. Not a lot, but a little. All right. And, and I want you to know that because when I start saying, what is a pastor? All right. I weigh those. But then I realize I spend more time with the Apostle Paul than I do anybody. And yes, he was an apostle. But he was a pastor. And so if I really want to see a pastor, I look to Paul. I look to Paul. I look around today and, you know, I've been in Castle Rock since 1979. I've been the senior pastor at this church for 21 years. I have seen a lot of things happen. Okay. I remember when there was one traffic light in Castle Rock. And that was when you got off on Wolfenburger. And there, there wasn't no more traffic lights. And, and now they got a deal. They buy one, get five free. <laughs> so they just go put them up all over the place. I have seen a lot happen. Being in the uh, quote-unquote church community, one of the things that I have noticed is that many churches have what I call an identity crisis, okay? And, and people ask me, uh, identity crisis, what, what does that mean? There's a big reason, huge, massive reason that they have an identity crisis. Have you ever looked at the amount of books 
that are written on the pastoral ministry? I've had people in my life give me books on the... I just... God bless them. Listen, I love you guys. Don't give me any books on pastoral ministry. Okay? Because I can tell you right now, I ain't going to read it. And I'm not saying that because I've arrived. Um, I'm still trying to catch up with Paul. Okay? When I get that done... I'll see what the experts want to tell me about the pastoral ministry. God made me unique. I've had people say, well, you need to say it another way. Well, truth of the matter is, God wanted me to say it that way. All right? And, and you know, and, and I wish that we could get that. And you're going to get this for the next five or six weeks. Duck. Okay? The books that are out there deal with styles. They deal with approaches. They deal with techniques. And I can't begin to count the number of choices that are out there for pastors to grow their church. Because they hire a pastor to grow their church. Now, let me tell you something. If you hired me for that, You're crazier than I ever was. All right? Because Jesus said he was going to do it, and I'm not going to compete with him. And the truth of the matter is, if you look at what real church growth is, it isn't what we're being taught. So keep these things in mind. There are books... There are seminars. I remember a dear lady years ago kept wanting to send me to every pastor's seminar there was. She would pay for it. And, she, and, and, I, and I had to just keep telling her, God bless you, but no, I don't want to go. Because they're all the same. They are how-to programs. They've got things going on right now that I've been invited to on how to take laity and make them servants. Well, threaten them. <laughs> Let's move on to the next thing. <laughs> I mean, I, but you see what I'm trying to get at? And it's how-tos. And it's all done by experts. There are so many who try to style themselves after successful pastors. You you see somebody and he does something, he gets a great big, you know, building and look and now write a book on how you did that and then sell a bunch of them books and you get all them books sold, then everybody thinks that you know what you're talking about. You know what? My favorite church on the planet is in Thessalonica. The Thessalonian church has never been without an evangelical presence in the city. Since the Apostle Paul was there for about three months. Church has always been there. Still there today. All right. Now, I can go through that letter, 1 Thessalonians. You go through the first three chapters. I don't know who their pastor was. I don't know what TV program they were operating. I don't know if they were ever published. But I do know this. The light of the gospel has always been in Thessalonica. 
Okay? Now, I can go see the ruins of Corinth. I can go see the ruins of Ephesus. I can go see Laodicea, those ruins. All right? I can go see all these. But there's always been an evangelical presence in Thessalonica. And if you go look at the letter, you sit there and go, that's church growth. All right? Just you can, that, your homework assignments. The thing that we have today are programs, methods, gimmicks. And you know what? The more I watch them, the more often that I notice that they fail to achieve spiritual results. They don't help the people. And you know what? I have concluded that they all cheat the pastor and the congregation of the true blessings of God. The volume of available material would seem to indicate that the pastoral ministry is complicated. I stand as living proof that it ain't. Anybody who knows me very well says that man ain't complicated. (laughs) Okay? So God's not going to put simple me in a complicated program. All right? That's why he he doesn't even give me a bunch of books. He gives me one. Why? He can't handle two books. Just give him one, and when he wears it out, replace it. Truthfully, if you look at what people try to tell you that the... You know, I. <laughs> Now, there's part of me envies this. I, I watch guys get jobs, and part of their package is they get three months sabbatical a year. And I was like, well, is that like after five years? or? How? Oh, no. I got to have three months off to refire. I guess it's nice if you can get it. I, just, I don't know what I would do with three months off. I'd probably forget to come back. But anyway, I, but, but, but I, I share that with you because... I'm sitting here saying, then you're doing something wrong if you have to refire. All right? If I was doing this job, in my own wisdom, and my own strength, I would need three months off every other month. Okay? Because... I don't think most people, most people think, well, the pastor, he just gets up there and talks. Well, that's part of it. Okay, but I have to give an account of the souls that have been entrusted to me. And the one who's doing the accounting is the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, anybody here had a problem with their boss? My boss is perfect. Okay. And if you don't believe me, argue with him. He'll show you. I think the problem that I see in the pastorate right now is that so many people are so confounded by it because of its simplicity. There are direction and principle for successful ministry. The outcome for the ministry as a successful pastor, is not your decision. God gives the success. 
God gives us the success. I think about Alexic and Zeminfka, and he went into that town every day. And when he stopped by that town, he would pray at the sign that said city limits for a harvest of souls. In and out every day, five years before he even had a door open. And it was a widow woman. And she came to Christ. And he began sharing the Bible with her. She died, left him the house to make it into a house of prayer. We, years ago, if you guys will remember, we took up money and we tore the roof off of it, added a second floor, built a bunch of Sunday schools. And it's in a town of 4,000 people with 100% unemployment. 100% unemployment. Okay? Then a few of the widows showed up. And then... uh, the guy with the Belarus motorcycle, he got saved, and he's a deacon now. Okay, the church right now. I remember I went in there and preached on a Wednesday night. Colder and gee whiz, some guys had seen me <laughs> circling the Statue of Lenin on that motorcycle. Okay, and then they decided to go see what the American was doing, and they came to hear hear me preach. And when they showed up, the women. It's a little bitty church. The women got up, put their coats and hats on, opened up the windows, went outside so that the men would sit on the inside and listen to the message. And then they sat outside the window and listened. Okay? Now, I don't know about you. That's not exactly what you would classify as a successful ministry. But it's changing. And I watched Alexander's faithfulness to this. And Boris, Boris, the guy who has the motorcycle, he's, what a piece of junk. But anyway. (laughs) Dude, I I don't know if it's two-cycle or should have been. But anyway. When I think about the job that is at hand, I closed last week with, 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. It says, all Scripture is God-breathed. Okay, for teaching, for reproof, for counseling. So that the man of God is equipped for every good work. See how simple it is? I watch marketing techniques. I watch demographics. I watch cultural relativity. I thought that one was good. Cultural relativity. <laughs> I heard a guy says, "You know, we live in Colorado, right?" And he says, "What?" He says, "We have legalized pot." <laughs> How am I going to make that relative? They go after the hot buttons. I remember early in the church's ministries around here, the big thing is if you were going to charge start a church, you taught revelations. Because everybody wants to know what revelations is. Then you went to, what do they call them? Multi-use facilities. Where you could take everything out of the auditorium and play basketball or volleyball. And then that faded. And now we're into extravaganzas of you know, I heard a guy tell me, he says, our church rocks. And I was like, really? He says, yeah. He says, we turn the lights down low and the music up loud. 
And I said, I used to do that when I was in the bar scene. That, what is that? What is that? The church desperately needs to understand and obey biblical truth. Part of the problem that exists out there right now is that too many in the pulpit don't have any biblical truth. They're great storytellers. We are in an age of sound bites. We are in an age of sensationalism. We are in an age of methods, of trends. And you know what I've learned? All of those come and go. The churches are trying to do what society's already failed at. But the church isn't smart enough to understand. God's truth is timeless. I had a friend, I told you about Dr. Olford. Dr. Olford preached on every continent except Antarctica. Okay? And you know what? He never changed the message. He never tried to make it fit the Kenyans versus the Russians versus the Jews. It was always the same message. The same book on every continent. Because God's truth is timeless. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall never. God's effective ministers... Guess what? They're timeless. Why do the men of God now quote John Knox? Why do they quote John Calvin? Those guys, they wrote in the 1500s. They didn't even know how an iPad could use to exegete a text. How are they going to do it? They studied the language day and night. John Calvin taught six times a week for 30 years. And he started a college in his spare time. Okay? His wife died. And uh, his brother abandoned his kids. So he raised his niece and nephew and his kids and still preached and still started a college. Oh, by the way, did I tell you that the King James Bible was translated originally by John Calvin, presented to John Knox, who presented it to Prince James in 1553. And it was hand translated. You go look at the Bible. I've seen it. You go look at the Bible and the writing that is in there was done by John Calvin. The little footnotes in there were all done by John Knox. And you open the front of it, and in John Knox's handwriting, he says, I present this to Prince James, I forget what month and day it was, of 1553. And that's the Bible that you get your King James from. Guy was busy. Go read Robert Murray McShane. He taught himself Hebrew, Greek, Latin, English, and is noted for being one of the great Scottish reformers ever. And you know what he did? He read the Bible day in and day out. Have you ever thought about the capacity of a man like John Calvin? Have you ever read his institutes? They're, they're like 25 volumes of the theology of Scripture. Okay? You know what's amazing? 
He did it by the time he was 21. And it's still considered the solid pillar of biblical theology. And I mean, you read through it. There's times I read it and you have to back away and say, I don't know what he said. See, what I have learned from the men that I have been exposed to and those who I look back on historically, the power and the effectiveness in the ministry come from a heart that is right before God. A passionate concern about God's plan, about God's people. And it overwhelms them. There's nothing second. Nothing second. Your spouse is not second. Your children are not second. It is God and God alone. And it is the passion. And when that is right, all the rest of it is taken care of. You don't compartmentalize it. You have been bought and paid for with a price. You are not your own. And nowhere is there a better model of a godly spiritual leadership than the Apostle Paul. This section here is extremely, uh, I guess I guess you could call it personal. And he opens up his heart. But I want to share with you one text that is very dear to me and has been for years. I told you my favorite church is Thessalonian. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, beginning at verse 7, I want you to listen to the words that the Apostle uses. But we prove to be gentle among you as a nursing mother tenderly cares for her own children. Now think about that picture for a second. That is how gracious the Apostle Paul was to the Thessalonian believers. As a nursing mother cares for her own kids. Having so fond an affection for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives, because you had become very dear to us. For you recall, brethren, our labor and hardship, how working night and day, so as not to be a burden to any of you, we proclaim to you the gospel of God. You are witnesses, and so is God, how devoutly and uprightly and blamelessly we behave toward you, believers, just as you know. How we were exhorting and encouraging and imploring each one of you as a father would his own children, so that you would walk in a manner worthy of God, who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. The Apostle Paul is sitting there saying, we were gentle to you as a mother nursing her child, but we exhorted you and we corrected you as a father so that you would walk in a manner worthy of the King of Kings and Lord of Lords. And we were so devoted to you, we didn't want to be a burden to you. We worked day and night. Going from house to house, teaching, working leather, teaching, working leather, teaching, working leather. 
That's his motives, people. That's a pastor's heart. That's Paul's success. Paul's success overflowed out of his godly life. It wasn't gimmicks. It wasn't demographic studies. It wasn't methods. It wasn't techniques. Gee whiz, they stoned him and threw him out on a pile of manure. And he, when he came to, guess what he did? He went right back into the same city. That is a man who is passionate for the things of God. A true pastor is focused on the right things and will not be swayed. Is driven by the right passions, is driven by the right desires. And those will never be compromised. There are too many who are too easily compromised. The focus of this letter is the assault on the Corinthian church by false teachers, false apostles. That term there that you see in verse 11, the most eminent apostles. Okay, the literal phrase there means super apostles. He says, I'm no less than them. They were attacking the credibility of the Apostle Paul. They forced him to take a stand on his calling. And he did. He's already spoken of his apostolic calling. And here, now he contrasts himself to the false. Here is the war. What does a real pastor look like? What does a man sent by God to have oversight over the flock of God, what does he look like? What does his character, what is his attitude? And he does it by showing the correct view of ministry. Why? I contrast it to the false. In your bulletin, there's an outline. We're not going to get into it this morning. I'm setting the stage. You guys have been with me for a while, know how this all works. And a true pastor has concerns. Okay? And listen, it's not... The best out of five. Okay? Because if the pastor's heart is right before God, then he has a concern for faithfulness. If his heart's right before God, he has a concern for sacrifice. If his heart's right before God, he has a concern for honesty. If his heart's right before God, he has a concern for reverence. If his heart's right before God, he has a concern for edification. They're all there. Now, let me try to get it to it in a bigger picture because I was going to almost when I first made my outline on this, it was a novel. And I thought, well, this ain't going to work. I need some astound a little bit. When I think about faithfulness, I'm looking at considered the world. The world is God's creation. I am here for such a time as this. The Apostle Paul was here to be an apostle to the Gentiles. And you weren't going to change his view. His faithfulness was to his Lord in this world. His concern of sacrifice, that's self. That's self. The life is a sacrifice. It ain't about me. Ever. That's what Paul's telling us. It ain't you. It's Christ. And you give sacrificially. How much? All of it. All of it. Ministry should be a concern for honesty in the ministry. Honesty in the ministry. I've seen some things that 
just break my heart. And, you know, and it usually deals with, in our day and age, it's finances. I have seen some pastors do some crooked stuff financially. It's, I don't ha- I can't write a check out of this church. I have absolutely no access to the money of this church. I can't do nothing. Why? I don't want to do nothing. I present a budget. There it is. All right. Okay. And everybody says, well, you mean you can't? No. None of the accounts. We've got two accounts or three accounts. I don't know how many we got. But I, I, no, the only time I ever really know what's going on is when she gives me the, <laughs> the dirty look. The bookkeeper gives me the dirty look and says, we ain't making it. <laughs> and you're like, uh-oh. <laughs> what does that mean? <laughs> because <laughs> I'm the only one who gets paid. So that means I ain't making it. <laughs> what is your ministry? Is your ministry honest? How about your Lord? What is your concern with your Lord? I watched it, you know, and I listen. I hear people. Well, I can't believe you'd wear a suit to preach. Nobody wears a suit anymore. I said, well, it's my right, isn't it? You know, everybody's going casual. Okay? You know what shows me? Irreverence. When I hear a person say, do you have contemporary worship or traditional worship? You know what you just told me? I don't care how God says to worship. I want you to think about something. Three chapters in the Bible on creation. Three chapters. On creation. 44 on worship. What do you think that means? Somewhere in here we're getting... Now listen, I'm not... You know, R.C. wears a a robe. And and I know why they do it. I I spoke at a church in London, England. And they, they had a barrel... And when you you got to climb up this thing in the back and you get in this barrel and you're hanging out in the middle of no, and, and you're just like this. I mean, you just see their head. And the reason was they didn't want to see the man. They want to hear the word. That's the way the churches were designed. So a lot of the Presbyterians will wear a robe because you don't want to see me. OK, we want to hear the word. And, and when I got in that barrel. It, had, it was, I mean, it, it was like this, man. It's just like, oh, I hope this all works out. I hope this barrel don't fall off this pole. I go rolling down the aisle. But it, there's a little platform for me to put my Bible on. And then there was this little band that went around there that was wood carving. And it's, and I mean, you get ready and you're all ready for this. And I look down there and it says, sir, we would see Christ. Get me out of this barrel. <laughs> No. Okay, so I don't want you to think I'm legalistic or something, but you need to have reverence for the Lord. I mean, do we understand he only spoke existence into being? That's all. We only know that he came and he died to pay a sin that you couldn't do. And then the last thing that there is our concern is for edification. What is our concern for the church? Have you ever seen how flippant people are with the church nowadays? That's a tragedy. I remember that they, they said, if you, if you just want to make sure that you're left alone, tell them you're going to have a prayer meeting. 
and nobody will come. And you know what? You're right. You know what Wednesdays used to be? Midweek prayer. Tell somebody you're going to have a prayer meeting on Wednesday. Now tell them you're going to have a Bible study on Wednesday. Why? It's we've we've lost that. The, the 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 thing that church is, your presence strengthens me. Okay? You have a supernatural gift that God made just for you. And He gave it to you to give to me. And God gave me a gift. All of those that I just shared with you you will see our Paul's attitude first in the world, okay? In the world, think about it. Look at the world today. And I'm talking about the church today. Look at it. How proud is it? Dr. Zodiades, I remember talking to him. He says, in his study of history, he loved history more than I did. He said, in his study of church history, never has she been more haughty than she is right now. And then I had to go look up the word haughty, but then... Okay? And I look at the church today, tell me I'm wrong. Too many in the body of Christ right now want fame, popularity, prestige. And so what you watch happens is that they want to play to the crowds. They want to be in the limelight. I met with a congressman last week, very skeptical. Uh, I love politicians. And uh, so I had about an hour and a half, two hours with him, run him through the theological maze. And I was very impressed. I was very, very impressed. He has a room that the guy who heads up the National Day of Prayer, his two sons bought a house. It's about a half a block from the Capitol building in Washington, D.C., And he has a room, a little smaller than my office. In it is a bed. And then it's a community bathroom and shower. And he says one thing that he learned when he got to Washington, D.C. is that I do not want to be comfortable in Washington, D.C. Every Tuesday night, they have prayer dinner. There's about four of them. They all stay in this little bitty house in these little bitty rooms. And then they pray. And they've had a couple of guys who are no longer in the Congress. If they're in town, uh, they'll stop. On, if they're there on that Tuesday, they'll come in and pray. Now, the tragedy is there's four of them. <laughs> and there's 435 of them in the office. All right? But I see pastors playing to the crowd. They're not, they're not interested and what Christ wants. They're interested in what does the crowd want. The second thing that you see on sacrifice is that false are selfish. It's about them. They want comfort. They want prosperity. They are in it for the money. They are in it for the prestige, the fame, the accolades. Thirdly, they have a great deception in ministry. Ministry. Remember, the Corinthians had received these false apostles. 
And one of the things about false apostles are they don't come up and say, hey, I'm a false apostle. Or I'm a false teacher. They will come up and they will give you half truths. And very often, they're extremely successful at engaging others in their deceit. Which shows themselves to be credible. They have an irreverence. The fourth one there, their concern for God is irreverence. Even to a time of, a time of blasphemous. First Timothy, Paul had sent two elders outside of the church in Ephesus to teach them not to blaspheme God. I noticed this because they have no regard for the person of God. They have no regard for His truth. They have no regard for His word. And they have no regard for His glory. And fifthly, they tend to be destructive to the people in the body of Christ. They will lead people to sin. They will lead people to error. They do not walk with them. The word exhortation, we, we like to throw it around a lot, but the word actually means that I come up to you and point out your error and then walk with you to help you overcome that error. I know a whole bunch of people who want to point out error. But very few people have the self-sacrifice to say, let me help you walk through this. True man of God, in a contrast of these five points, and he is contrasted to the most eminent apostles, the most super apostle. In this world then, be faithful. When it comes to self, be sacrificial. When it comes to ministry, honesty, when it comes to the Lord, reverence, when it comes to the church, strengthening. All five are the passion of a true pastor. If you would please join with me in prayer. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, my brother Paul. And Father, uh, the model that he set for the pastorate. Father, we are all ministers of Jesus Christ. Let each of us be faithful. Let each of us be sacrificial. Father, let honesty be what we are known for. Let us have an awe of reverence for our Lord. And Father, may we have a passion to strengthen the church, to present her holy and pure. Thank you, Lord. That Paul's life sets before us in many texts. Yes, he is an apostle, Lord, called by you, set aside by you, gifted by you. But Father, he has a pastor's heart. Father, may many more pastors realize this. And Father, may many of us bow before you and walk in a manner worthy. We love you and we thank you in Christ's name. Amen.